Welcome to Terrify Me, a podcast all about scary stories in fact, fiction and folklore. I'm your host, Anthony Frost, and uh, today's a bit of a different one. I've been graciously given a short story from the upcoming Howl Society anthology, Howls from the Wreckage. Uh, this story is by David Warren, and it's read by Lance Lovegood. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. If, you, if you're into the sort of topics I cover at all, then I think you're going to like it a lot. Uh, I'll be back in another month or two with a more conventional sort of episode, but I think this is a really sort of nice change of pace. Uh, I'm really interested to hear what people think of it, and I really do recommend everyone goes out and buys this anthology. Um, I, I believe the Kickstarter is still going on, actually. At least it is at time of recording. I'm going to endeavour to get it out before the Kickstarter ends. Because there are, there are some really good sort of little benefits in there at the various tiers. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's enough for me for now. Without further ado, here is Don't Play in the Closet by David Warren. Read by Lance Lovegood. Don't Play in the Closet by David Warren. Read by Lance Lovegood. I don't like that song. Brian had been about to close the bedroom door when something in his son's voice stopped him. He turned the lights back on. What song, buddy? Sam pointed towards his closet. That song. Brian shook his head and smiled. Sam had always been good at finding clever ways to delay bedtime. Investigating noises in the closet, though, that was a new one. The closet itself was empty save for a few bags of old toddler clothes and several shirts hanging from child-size hangers. See? There's nothing there. Brian closed the door. Daddy, make the song stop. Head down. He used his dad voice, and Sam lay down on his pillow, hands over his ears. Thanks, buddy. Love you. Brian turned off the lights closed the bedroom door, and left Sam to stare at the closet in the dark. Mommy! It was just before dawn when Brian awoke with a start. He scrambled out of bed, his heart racing. His wife, Laura, pulled off her sleeping mask. What's going on? There was a gut-wrenching scream, and Brian bolted down the hallway. Bursting into his son's room, he slammed the light switch on. Sam's bed was empty. Brian yanked the rocking chair out of the corner. There weren't many places to hide in the small bedroom. Where the fuck is Sam? Another scream. Brian whirled around, trying to locate the source. The closet. He threw open the closet door. Sam was inside, facing the back wall. His body trembled, and he screamed again at the darkness. Laura came up behind and gasped. Sam, I got you. You're okay. Brian got down and reached into the closet for his son. Sam's clothes were wet with sweat, and his skin was cold to the touch. He instinctively put his arms around his father's neck, his body reacting to the comfort of a parent, before his mind fully understood what was happening. I followed the song, Daddy, Sam croaked. His voice, normally tripping over itself with excitement, sounded diminished. Sam buried his face in his father's chest and whispered something. Brian thought it sounded like, Don't let them take me away. Then Sam cried in deep sobs that racked his little body. 
on the floor of the yellow-colored room as the first rays of dawn filtered through the window. Brian rocked his son, repeating, We're okay, over and over. Laura sat with them, her hand on Sam's back. They exchanged looks, both thinking the same thing. We've been here before. Back before Sam, when the nursery lay empty, when they had doubted whether they'd ever be able to have children, when the endless tests and consultations had led them to that final appointment with their reproductive endocrinologist. Your chances of successfully carrying a pregnancy to term are remote. Later that day, Brian found Laura sitting where they were now, her arms wrapped around her knees, staring at an empty crib. His heart broke when she said to him, We'll have to return all of this stuff. He held her then, just as he now held Sam, telling her they would be okay. Then baby Sam came crashing into their lives, and Brian would be damned if he had ever let anything happen to him. Sam went missing a few hours later. Brian was in the video editing suite at the production company where he worked, when his phone shrieked with an amber alert. He picked it up and was stunned to see dozens of alert notifications up on his lock screen. What the hell? The phone buzzed in his hand. A text from Laura. Did you see the news? We have to get Sam now. Brian grabbed his bag and ran from the room. Rushing past the elevator, he burst into the stairwell, descending the stairs two at a time until he was in the parking garage. Another amber alert went off. His tires screeched as he tore out of the garage. With one eye on the road, Brian fumbled with his phone and sent a text to Laura. Driving now. Call me. Laura immediately replied, Calls won't go out. WTF is happening. He scanned through the FM channels. Hundreds of children missing. No comment yet from the authorities. Brian ran a red light. Fuck, fuck, fuck. The announcer returned. I'm sorry, listeners. I have to go. I have a kid. In the background, he heard muffled shouting. I can't leave. We're on the fucking air. Traffic increased all around him, like a pressure valve had exploded, flooding the streets with cars. He imagined other parents, hearing the amber alerts, hearing the news. What had the radio said? Hundreds of children missing. His phone vibrated with the text. It was Laura's sister, Sonia. She texted, At school to get Nick. We'll get Sam too. Meet me out front. A police car sped by, sirens blazing driving in the oncoming lane of traffic. At the next intersection, a sedan ran a red light and sideswiped a police car. The metallic boom of steel against steel reverberated off the buildings. Brian drove past the wreck without stopping. At Sam's school, the parking lot was jammed with cars, blocking each other in. They sat empty with their engines still running. Brian couldn't see a way around them until an SUV went by and hopped the sidewalk driving on the grass to the school's entrance. Brian followed, his bumper catching the curb with a plastic crunch. Outside his car, he became aware of the cacophony of distant sirens, as though the whole city was on fire. Running inside the school, he collided with a mother and her child on the way out. Get the fuck out of my way! She screamed. Inside, the lobby overflowed with parents. They pushed and swore and shouted over each other as haggard teachers guided them towards groups of children seated on the floor, in the stairwells, and in the adjoining rooms. Something scratched at the edge of his mind, but there was too much noise, 
Too many people. As he looked around at the clusters of school-aged kids being reunited with their parents, it hit him. Where are the little ones? Brian. Where are all the preschoolers? Through the crowd, he saw Laura's sister carrying her son, Nick. Sam wasn't with them. Sonia! She looked his way, and her face fell. Tightening her grip on her son, Sonia turned away and kept walking. She was seven months pregnant, and even in the chaos, people made room for her. Brian pushed through the crowd and broke into the hallway that led to Sam's room. A cop walked in his direction, yelling into his phone. What do you mean you can't find her? I'm coming home right now. Keep looking. Sam's class was empty. The back door to the playground was open. Beyond, he could see a group of adults standing by the old wooden playhouse in the corner of the yard. Sam had called it the spooky house, and with good reason. Its walls were soft with rot, and the windows were caked in grime and decades of greasy fingerprints. The inside was always dark, like a closet at night. As he approached, he recognized some of the parents. These were people he knew, people he had socialized with at school events and birthday parties. Now, they looked like ghosts. I'm looking for Sam. Brian said. Panic welled up inside him. He thought that if he could just keep his voice steady, ask simple questions, then everything would be okay. That he could keep at bay the dark thoughts that stalked at the periphery of his mind. Sam is missing. They're all missing. One of the parents pointed at the playhouse. He wanted to scream, to shake the shocked expressions from their face and get someone to fucking tell him what was going on. Instead, the flatness of his voice caught him off guard. I don't understand. A little girl of about five or six stood with her mother just beyond the group. Tell Sam's daddy what you told me. Brian recognized the girl. She was in one of the neighboring classes, a first or second grader. I... I saw the preschool kids go into the playhouse and close the door. They said there was music... I spied on them through the window and saw... Brian's heart raced. I saw them fall into the shadows. The world slowed like a record player losing power. There was ringing in his ears that increased as he turned toward the playhouse. In his head, he imagined Sam, sitting on his legs, still wearing his PJs from that morning. His son looked back over his shoulder at Brian. I followed the song, Daddy. Then he fell forward and disappeared into the dark. Back in the schoolyard, Brian pulled his phone out of his pocket with shaking hands. His fingers felt numb, and he struggled to unlock the device. There were several missed texts from Laura. I'm in the lobby. Where are you? Please tell me you got Sam. On the monitor, a young girl around Sam's age sat up in her cot and cocked her head to one side. Brian scrubbed the clip forward and noted the time. It was three minutes before she moved again. Next to her, a boy turned over, and the girl said something inaudible. Brian clicked on the audio track and amplified it. Over the noise, he made out only one word. Listen. Brian didn't have to hear the rest to guess what they were saying. He had seen more than enough clips by now to know that the children were listening to something that no one else could hear. Daddy, make the song stop. 
Brian shook his head and took a sip of coffee. The tools of his trade, laptop, external monitor, drawing tablet, were arranged into a makeshift workstation on Sonia's dining room table. It was nothing like his home office, but here they were. Somehow, in the chaos of that first day, after they'd lost Sam, they found themselves at Sonia's. Still in shock, they had watched from the kitchen table as Sonia moved about her house in a panic, turning on all the lights. It was then that Laura made the decision. They would stay and help her sister keep vigil over Nick, at least until her husband could come home from deployment. There was more to it, of course. Staying with Sonia had become a way for them to put off returning to their empty house, to put off facing the silence left by Sam's absence. A flicker of movement brought his attention back to his computer. The boy stood up and joined the girl. Together, they slipped under a cot and fell into the shadows on the floor. Brian scrubbed the clip back several frames and zoomed in on the space beneath the cot. The girl had already disappeared, but part of the boy's body was still in view. There was no point. He knew he wouldn't find anything, but he opened the image editing tools anyways. Playing with levels, exposure, noise reduction, it wouldn't matter. Between the cheap CCTV cams that schools use for security and YouTube's video compression crushing the blacks, he doubted whether he'd ever be able to squeeze anything but noise from the grainy shadows. Swearing under his breath, he switched to his browser. In the window was an online spreadsheet, the cursor waiting on the row that read, 1.14 p.m., Westbrook Elementary, Glenview, Illinois. He wrote, N.A., in the cell next to it, and watched as dozens of colored cursors moved around the spreadsheet. Other editors, photographers, experts in image manipulation, who, like him, were working late into the night, trying to find some clue as to what happened to their children. He took off his headphones. The sound of the TV drifted over from the next room. It's obvious that the planet has taken revenge on us. We've been pillaging her for centuries, clear-cutting the forests, poisoning the oceans, driving wildlife to extinction. Gaia theory states that... With respect said an older male voice. That is complete bullshit. Whatever is happening in Illinois is a scientific phenomenon, not some half-baked hippie. Laura changed the channel. Schools continue to see record drops in attendance as parents move their children out of state over fears that the disturbance is spreading. Another channel. CDC guidelines remain in effect for all children under six. Brian stopped trying to listen. Nobody had any fucking idea what had happened what was still happening. In the five days since Sam disappeared, Brian worked, trying to find some clue in the hundreds of videos posted on YouTube and social media, hoping to squeeze out some new detail from the darkness, to understand what had happened to Sam. He needed to do something, anything to keep himself from accepting that Sam was... Brian opened his next video. So far, it had been a waste of time. The only constant he'd seen was that the children heard something. A song only those around the ages of two to five could hear. Some had been spared. Laura's nephew Nick survived by dumb luck. Other children had been asleep, on the potty, or in car seats when it happened, unable to escape their caregivers and follow the song into the dark. But they were still in danger. Nick continued to hear the song, 
but in the frantic hours after the event, Sony had put sufficient stock in online rumors to zip-tie her son's closet door shut and keep him under watch, and so he had survived when Sam had not. Brian closed the video editor. On the monitor, an image of Sam smiled back at him. It was taken just a few days before the event. Daddy, look at the red leaf! Brian and Laura had taken Sam for a hike to see the changing leaves. They had walked hand in hand along the trail, and when Sam's little legs had tired, he had thrown him up on his shoulders. Tears gathered in Brian's eyes as he remembered how happy Sam had been. It wasn't fair. Brian reached out and touched the monitor. Sam was their only child, the only one they would ever have. For years, everyone around them appeared to have no trouble conceiving. Sony got pregnant with Nick on the first try. She had no idea how difficult it had been for them, how they'd struggled. Tests, injections, hormone assays. Always a negative pregnancy test. It should have been Nick. Brian hated himself for thinking it, but the thought was like a canker. Sony had another child on the way. She could afford to lose Nick. But Sam, Sam had been a miracle. Lost in thought, Brian didn't hear his wife come in. She put her hand on the back of his neck and touched Sam's image on the computer monitor, just as he had done. That was a good day, Laura said. Her eyes were red from crying. Brian squeezed her hand. After a moment, he nodded toward the notebook tucked under her arm. Anything? No, same as yesterday. All the crazies are blaming vaccines, Democrats, and aliens. The CDC did release a statement today. And? They don't think it's a disease. Brian snorted. I'm heading up to sleep. Do you have the pills? He handed her the prescription bottle of sleeping pills they'd been passing back and forth since that first long night without Sam. After Laura left, Brian loaded up another video, this one captured from his cell phone. A mother was filming her child, walking trance-like into a closet, thinking it was just a game. Brian muted the audio, not wanting to hear her reaction when it happened. It was almost midnight. It would soon be his shift to watch Nick. He was just about to go upstairs, when his phone buzzed with a text from a photographer friend. It read, I found something, followed by a link. Brian clicked it, and a screen filled with an image of a child's closet. Holy shit! Nick's door creaked as Brian opened it. All around the room, he saw the signs of Sonia's evening vigil. A book, a plate of crumbs, an empty glass of water. In his bed, Nick slept. His little head tucked under a stuffed animal. A barrage of LED lamps, battery backups, and photography lights were arrayed around the room, carefully positioned to kill any shadow that might have tried to gather there. Wires and extension cables ran everywhere. Sitting in the glider, the same one that had once been in Sam's room before they'd given it to Laura's sister, Brian recalled the thousand nights he put his son to bed. His room was always so tranquil, the orange glow of his nightlight, the rumble of his noise machine. Sometimes, Brian stayed and watched his son sleep, wondering who this boy would one day become, back when Sam still had a lifetime ahead of him. Unlocking his phone, he examined the picture again.
It was a photo of a child sitting in her closet. Unlike the low-quality videos Brian had poured over, this one had been taken with a professional camera. The flash is what did it. It caught the darkness at the back of the closet moments before the child disappeared. There was structure to that darkness. It looked vaguely like a wall. Its edges were soft, and its inky black surfaces gave a faint impression of color, like a slick of engine oil on wet pavement. It almost looked organic. He adjusted the levels and rotated it this way and that, trying to make sense of what he was looking at. A tunnel? As soon as he thought it, the possibilities exploded into his consciousness. The children weren't disappearing into nothingness. They were going somewhere. That meant... Sam! He could still be alive, wasting away in the darkness. The memory of that morning, of Sam crying into his chest after they'd found him in his closet, crept up on him. His nostrils filled with Sam's scent, the unmistakable perfect smell of his child. Don't let them take me away. Brian was still for a long time. When he finally looked up, it was 3.48 a.m. It would be sunrise in a few hours. Don't do this. His legs carried him toward the closet. A part of him wanted to be stopped for someone, Sonia or his wife, to walk in on him. He pictured the look on their faces if they were to enter and see him sawing away with his pocket knife at the zip ties that held Nick's closet door shut. He turned off the lights, one by one. Pools of shadows gathered under the bed, behind the chair, and inside the newly opened closet. He hesitated over Nick's sleeping body. Why are you still here and not Sam? Brian gently shook Nick's shoulder, and the boy's eyes fluttered open. Hey, buddy, your closet is open. Nick stared a long time at the doorway, his head cocked to one side, just like the children in the videos, listening to something that Brian could not perceive, the song from nowhere. He got out of bed and shuffled over to the closet. I only opened the door, that's all. It's not like I'm dragging him kicking and screaming. Nick stood at the threshold, dropped his stuffed animal, and pointed towards the darkest part of his closet. Brian listened close. There was nothing. Whatever the children seemed to hear, he was deaf to it. But still, he strained. And in that dark room, in the middle of the night, his body tingling with adrenaline, Brian could almost hear... What? A song? No. It was just phantoms and Nick's white noise machine. He followed his nephew into the closet and closed the door behind them. In the blackness, his heart raced. He waited with his hands raised, ready to grab Nick the instant something changed. What if it only works when they're alone? What if I'm too old for it to happen? What if I can't follow? He could still stop this, turn the lights on, and put Nick back in his bed. No one would know. His stomach twisted with revulsion at what he was doing. Brian conjured up that image of Sam alone in the dark, but it was no longer enough. He couldn't sacrifice someone else's child for his. I'm so sorry, Sam. He was about to open the closet door when it began. A whisper of hot air rose from the floor by Nick's feet. As it passed over him, the skin on Brian's arms broke out in goosebumps. Nick's body tipped forward, and Brian lunged, wrapping his arms tight around him 
the momentum carrying them both into the dark. Brian lay on his side, cradling Nick in his arms. Moments before, they had been falling. Then, the plane shifted suddenly, and they were lying on the ground. The break in the natural order of things had scrambled his senses, made him want to throw up. He took several deep breaths until the feeling passed. The air was hot and humid, and his eyes watered from an overpowering acetone-like stench, as though a thousand magic markers had just opened in front of him. Nick squirmed in his arms. All around, walls like skin pressed down on them. There was a sound like cellophane crinkling, and, all over his body, he felt tiny fingers press on him. They were moving. The fingers dragged them forward, like cilia pushing food along a digestive tract. The sensation grew stronger as the walls compressed around him. Brian groaned. This was meant for children. The fingers beneath him were pushing Brian back, trying to separate him from his nephew. He strengthened his grip, causing Nick to cry out. Uncle Brian? Nick's voice was pitifully small, but it sounded like him. Whatever trance he'd been in when he'd gone into the closet was over. He was just a little boy, afraid of the dark. An impression of light. Somewhere ahead, there was an end to the tunnel. Distracted, Brian lost his grip on Nick, and the fingers carried him away. Except they weren't fingers at all. In the faint light, he saw the thousands of tiny, oily black proboscises pulling Nick forward like a, like a fucking conveyor belt. Nick fell out of the opening and disappeared from view. Brian pushed forward. The light was growing stronger. Near the opening, the tunnel appeared to widen. He could almost crawl on all fours if he could just make it a few more feet. Through the opening, he caught a glimpse of a dusty red wall made of stone. He army crawled toward it, dragging himself along the tunnel. The feeling of warm flesh and the hundreds of little finger-like cilia, squirming as they were crushed under the weight of his body, should have repulsed him but he thought only of Sam. His son could be there, just a few feet away. The light dimmed as a face occluded the opening. It was Nick. Another face appeared, that of an older girl. She looked curiously at Brian as he struggled to reach them. Then another child. A shot of adrenaline surged through him, and his entire body reached forward, every muscle straining to get closer to... Sam! Tears fell from his son's eyes, drawing rivers through the sweat and the dirt caked over his face. Daddy! I'm coming, Sam! Brian yelled. He fought for every inch of those last few feet, ripping at the wall flesh, tearing the soft, wet cilia from the roots as he clawed his way forward. The tunnel reacted to his progress, shuddering as if in pain, the flesh around him contracting and expanding in rhythmic pulses. His nasal passages burned as the smell of acetone grew stronger. He pulled and kicked and willed himself forward, but he was getting crushed by the undulating walls of the tunnel. He felt a blinding pain in his chest as something cracked under the strain. Sam! Brian grunted. He was so close. Ahead, Sam crawled partway into the tunnel and reached for his father. Brian's heart nearly tore out of his chest, as he pushed every muscle in his body to their limit. 
Their fingers touched, and his son's desperate grip brought back the memory of Sam's first day of preschool, when he'd been so shy and afraid that he'd held onto his father's hand with an iron grip. As Brian left that morning, Sam had watched him go with pleading tears in his eyes. They'd both cried that day. Through his hand, Brian felt Sam shudder. Something was wrong. Sam's fingers slipped from his. No! Why did he let go? Then he saw it. The hand wrapped around Sam's shoulder. It was not a child's hand. The arm was unnaturally long. Covered in red cloth, it extended upwards beyond the lip of the opening. The skin was like plastic stretched over bone. The children were not alone. Brian clawed at the walls of the tunnel, willing himself forward, trying to pull his entire weight with only his fingers as the walls constricted around him. Just a little more. Please, God. Sam stood rigid, his eyes wide with terror. Tears streamed down his face as the hand guided him away. Panic filled Brian with new strength, and he tore at the flesh, inching closer to the opening, pushing back against the walls with all his might, his broken ribs sending back shards of pain and protest. Darkness fell upon him as a sickening iris of flesh shut out the light and closed him off from Sam. The wall flesh shuddered and contracted as the fingers pulled at him, expelling him backward. He felt a tremendous surge of speed, and then his legs skidded on solid ground. He was back in Nick's closet. He tried to return to the tunnel, but the darkness pushed back until the hot air dissipated, and the floor was once again just a floor. Brian lay wet and shaking. His body was bruised. Something in his chest was broken, and he breathed in wheezy, labored breaths. Sam was gone. Nick was lost, and something unnatural was with them. Lying against the floor, he was too shocked to cry. When it did finally come, it was slow and ugly. A howl filled with loss and shame. The door to the room burst open, and Sonia ran inside. Brian, the lights! Oh, God, where's Nick? She stared at Brian's prone body in the closet. Next to his feet were the remnants of the cut zip ties. It didn't take her long. What did you do? She got down on her hands and knees and put her face close to his. One hand instinctively went to her stomach, as if to protect the baby inside from him. Where is my son? Brian didn't hear her. His mind was locked in those last moments, touching Sam's fingers, the plastic hand pulling his son from the opening, Sam looking back at him. And underneath it all had been the song. He hadn't registered it in the moment, but his mind had recorded it all the same. A song in no language. A clarion call. In his memory, he heard it as they did. Felt the power of that summons from the dark. Sonia screamed his name, trying to get him to acknowledge her. She crawled past him and pounded on the floor of the closet. Tears fell from her cheeks onto the place where her son had gone. At the doorway stood Laura. He knew she would come to hate him, be disgusted with what he'd done to her nephew. But right now, the question hung in the air. She didn't need to say it. I found Sam, he said. He had to bring him back, bring them both back. 
Get them away from that thing with the plastic hands. He'd be better prepared next time. He'd have climbing gear, a rope, something to claw his way through, and a gun. Sonia would forgive him. Sam was family. They would come to understand. And then they would help. And Brian needed help. For if this new plan was going to work, he would need someone else's child. Thank you for listening to Terrify Me with Anthony Frost. The theme music is by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com and used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TerrifyMePod, all one word. For more from me, visit anthonyfrost.com or follow me on Twitter at AnthonyRFrost. That's Anthony without an H. See you next time.